0: This podcast is brought to you by Intel vPro.
1: On the day that Hans Von O'Hain died, him and his neighbor, Eric Rossiter, decided to go play golf, as they frequently did together. They were neighbors and really close friends.
0: Trisha Thadani is a technology reporter at The Post. Lately, she's been investigating what happened on this day in May 2022, when Hans and Eric met up at Hans's place in Evergreen, Colorado. Here's Eric.
2: I go to load my golf clubs into my car, because we always took my car, and sometimes we'd go fishing after golf, and he goes, well, you
1: want to take the Tesla? Hans had, over the last couple of months, he had gotten this new feature on his car, on, on his Tesla, called Full Self Driving, and he was excited to show it off to Eric. On the way to the golf course, Eric had told us that repeatedly the car was veering off the road. Hans had to constantly fix it.
2: And so it was kind of like, my trust is in this vehicle and Hans and he trusts this car with his kid and his wife. And so um, I was just along for the ride.
1: So they went to the golf course, and over the course of 21 holes of golf, they were drinking, they were having a great time. Apparently Hans had one of the best rounds of golf that he had ever had that day. An investigation would later show that both of them were legally intoxicated by the end of the day. Eric told us that Hans seemed completely composed when he got behind the wheel.
2: And then we made our way back up the canyon. I was definitely in no condition to drive. (laughs) So, um, you know, the memory's a little fuzzy, I guess. I remember us, music was playing, you know, we were talking about fishing. And I was kind of just, you know, tuned out to the side. And I remember him go, oh, and then we hit the tree.
1: The car suddenly
2: exploded. As I'm kind of like looking up, I see the front of the car is just engulfed in flames. I look over, I'm like, Hans, Hans. And then he was knocked out at this time. And I said, we gotta get out, we gotta get out, we gotta get out.
1: Eric was able to get out of the car, but Hans was unfortunately trapped. And so when Eric, he, he tried running around to the driver's side to pull his friend out, but there was a fallen tree that had blocked the door. So unfortunately he wasn't able to get Hans out. One of the most striking things that we'd gotten from this huge public records request that we did uh, with the Colorado State Patrol, first was dashcam footage of the police responding to the crash that night.
2: Like it's a vehicle fully engulfed with one and trapped. They're asking for anything.
1: It was in a really mountainous and windy area in Evergreen, Colorado. So you could really see just like sort of the curves that a car would need to navigate around that road. Mm. Then we also got the 911 call recordings from that night. And one of the more jarring things that we found in that was an account from a dispatcher saying that a partial statement from the passenger, which was Eric, said that they were using an auto-drive feature when the car just ran straight off the road. And in that audio, you can also hear the dispatchers commenting on how horrible this fire was and how shocking it was. It will not be out of fire for several hours. You know how Tesla's are. And Hans, he ultimately died from the fire itself rather than the crash. So we've been looking at a whole slew of Tesla-related crashes that have happened over the last couple of years. And we got interested in this case in particular for a couple of reasons. So one, um, it was because the timing in which it happened, it was two years after this full self-driving feature was made available to the public. So the fact that there was a fatality in this car, in this year, in this model, really stuck out to us because Elon Musk and Tesla have said that there have not been any fatal or serious crashes on full self-driving mode. Mm. So this one raised a couple of alarms to us, wondering whether this could have been the first one. And then we went even further when we found the victim's name and Googled him and found that he was a Tesla employee. So not only was this potentially the first full self-driving crash, but it also involved someone who had worked at the company, was devoted to the company, really revered Elon Musk. And the more that we dug into it, we sort of saw the irony of this whole situation where this was a, a car that he got at a discount. And this was a feature that he got free with his employee discount as well. And it was a feature in beta mode, and he was someone who, you know, in theory was testing it for the company and gathering data for the company. And then now there's questions of what role this technology could have played in his death.
0: From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Wednesday, February 21st. Today, as automakers race toward a driverless future, I talk with Tricia about the questions that this car crash raises about new self-driving technology on the road now. So, Tricia, tell me a little bit more about Hans and who he was.
1: So... Hans von O'Hain, he was was a husband, um, and he was also a new father. Uh, Him and his wife, Nora Bass, had just had their first kid a couple months before his death. He was someone who, as Nora had described, was just so interested in... What she said is brilliant minds. He loved working for companies where he was constantly challenged and he was around people who were sort of on the cutting edge of new technologies. So when he got this job at Tesla as a recruiter for engineers, Nora was telling us how inspired
3: and how excited he was. To be able to work under such an influential company, an influential name an influential person, why wouldn't you want to be a part of that, be a part of something that's moving forward? What had excited him the most
1: was this idea that Tesla was pioneering the country's shift to electric vehicles, to automated vehicles, and she said that they believed in the company so much and had loved the company so much that they wanted to
3: support it. So much so that we were willing to support the company that supported us by buying their automobile. And it was supposed to be safe. Uh, We wanted to take our baby home in a brand new car that is claimed to be the safest on the road. And Hans, when he realized that he could
1: get this full self driving for free, Nora said he was just thrilled at that um at that prospect because it was then a ten thousand dollar feature that they wouldn't have been able to afford otherwise
0: and what were his feelings about driving this car and
1: using the self driving technology that came with it? so he really believed in it despite its flaws, you know, according to Nora, uh whenever they used it, i mean she refused to use it because she mm. thought it was so glitchy and so stressful and just that idea of technology driving her when she could just do it herself like she she wasn't she wasn't down for that. Mm-hmm. But when the car would glitch when Hans was driving he the way Nora described it is he would often be like, "Well, that just comes with the territory of new technology. Like we are helping train this. Like the technology mm-hmm. needs data and it needs users like us who sort of believe in it and are willing to take it for what it is now and help it, and help it learn.
0: And when we talk about the self-driving technology that's in this car, or full self-driving mode, what exactly does that
1: mean? So it does not mean what its name suggests that it is. So you hear the term full self-driving and you think that this is a car where you can just, you can fall asleep, you can be on your phone and... you Like go the wheel. Yeah, you can wake up at your destination and get there safely without having to do anything. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely not what this technology is. With this technology, you still need to be fully alert behind the wheel And in Tesla's owner manuals, they constantly warn that the driver is ultimately the one who's in control here. Regardless of how they lay it out in their owner's manuals and warning statements, at the end of the day, it's this the name is what is giving people what experts have called like a false sense of complacency.
3: The second you put the Tesla in a full self driving mode, it is such a false sense of security and it makes your reaction times naturally slower.
1: And then you get into cases such as this one um, where alcohol is involved and we can't know exactly what was going through Hans's mind when he decided to get behind the wheel after having however many drinks that he did. But, you know, this has been well-documented by experts that this idea that it is giving people Mm -hmm. the sense of confidence that if I had a couple of drinks, like, this technology might be able to correct for any sort of lack of reaction time I might have or anything Mm -hmm. like that. So this is a whole other frontier when it comes to self-driving cars of, of what this is doing in terms of drunk driving.
0: So it seems like the question that's at the heart of this story is whether and to what extent did this technology play a role in the crash that happened and killed Van O'Hain. So talk to me about the efforts that were made to piece together the circumstances of this crash and how authorities tried to figure
1: out what actually took place. So we were really running up into a lot of barriers in this entire case. So we initially found this case on a federal database of so-called advanced driver assistance system related crashes. Um, So that means manufacturers like Tesla, when there's a crash where this kind of technology is suspected to be involved within 30 seconds of the crash, they have to report it to federal authorities. We learned that Tesla had reported this to authorities after receiving a complaint from an unspecified source about the technology potentially playing a role. So initially, by virtue of this being on the database, we had a suspicion that there was potentially some kind of system on, but still we didn't know exactly which one was on because federal authorities allow Tesla to redact that kind of specific information. And on top of it, the company said that they didn't have any data from this crash because of the fire and because of the remote location where it occurred. So then we had to work backwards from there. We have accounts from Nora of how frequently he used his full self-driving software, which was backed up from um, a purchase order agreement that we had seen, that he had received it from Tesla, that, it, that proved it was on his car. So that was step one for us. Hmm. Step two was then also trying to figure out, was it engaged at this time of the crash? Now, the issue is that the only person who could definitively tell us whether it was actually on was Tesla. And, and what did they say when you asked them? So, well, they never respond to us. Um, they don't engage with reporters. They don't have a PR department. But, you know, we still, every time we write a story, including this one, we tried to go to them for comment. So over the course of two weeks, um, we had sent them a really detailed list of questions and we sent them follow-ups and deadlines asking them to respond. And we heard nothing from them. And on our stories, it has now been a pattern that we don't hear from them before the story publishes, despite going to them for comment. But what they will do is respond publicly on X afterwards. Mm -hmm. So the day after the story published, Elon Musk tweeted in reply to a blog post that had aggregated our story and said that the car didn't have the full self-driving technology downloaded onto it. So basically there's two tiers here. So one um, that we have definitive proof of that his car had the capability for full self-driving, which means it was equipped with the appropriate sensors and the hardware that it needed. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's also a secondary piece where when someone has that capability, they need to physically download the software. And what Musk is saying is that they don't have proof that Hans took that second step. Now, we have evidence that shows that Hans constantly used the full self-driving software and that ranges from accounts from Nora um, that he always used it Now, when Elon Musk had said this, um, along with another executive on Twitter, had doubled down and said that they don't have any record of the technology being on or the software being downloaded on his car. We asked them, again, for evidence of that and have not heard anything. Mm -hmm. Then in addition to Musk's tweets, Rohan Patel, the vice president of public policy and business development at Tesla, had also said in a tweet that the complaint that Tesla had to report to federal authorities came from, quote, unverified allegations that were made in a vehicle owner questionnaire that was submitted to the agency, which is basically just a form that allows consumers to submit complaints about safety defects. Again, we asked for more details on where that complaint came from, who would have filled out that vehicle owner questionnaire, and we have not heard anything back from Tesla.
0: What about evidence from the scene of the crash or anything else that suggests that this technology might have been in use?
1: So in the way to the golf course, Eric, the passenger, said that they were using the full self-driving technology and that the car was really struggling to handle the mountain curves. Mm. Um, Our secondary source on this was we talked to Colorado State Patrol, who were also investigating whether or not this technology played a role beyond the drunken driving that was also, you know, known to be involved in this case. They ultimately said that the dynamics of the crash do match up with what it would be if some kind of assisted driverless feature was on, among other pieces of evidence. But those were those were our main ones.
0: Also, I mean, you described this crash being intensely fiery and that that was part of what led to Vonahane's Hane's death. Um... Can you talk about what we know about that fire
1: and how it happened? So something that was really shocking that we learned in this case was that Colorado State Police had concluded that Von O'Hane actually would have survived the impact of the crash alone, but ultimately it was the fire and the smoke inhalation that had horrifically killed him. What we've also learned about Teslas in, in the course of this reporting is just the amount of battery power that they have in them. And by virtue of having so much battery power, that's very flammable, a really striking details. When I'd gone out to the crash scene, um, nearly two years after this crash, there was still little battery cells um, kind of strewn about on the side of the road. You know, so it it really shows how, how many batteries had fallen out of the car during this crash. And Eric had told me that he went there, you know, a couple of days after the crash and was just collecting like buckets and buckets of these little battery cells. Um, Mm. And, you know, for them to still be here two years later was really jarring to see.
0: And what did your reporting tell you about how Tesla responded after this crash? And to what extent they investigated the circumstances or tried to, you know, ask these same questions of like, whether their technology might have caused this?
1: So to our knowledge and from all the reporting that we did, talking to former employees and and people who knew Hans and uh, the family, There really was not much engagement from Tesla at all, uh, despite this crash involving one of its own. Mm. The day after the crash had happened, you know, Nora's obviously reeling of, of what had just happened to her family. She goes into her husband's work email account and she finds a termination notice from Tesla. Huh. She felt like she was just completely left in the dark by the company. Um, and for her, I mean, the reason that she wanted her story told was she just was hoping and looking for more answers on what exactly happened here.
3: I'm still paying storage every month, a fee for to store that Tesla, a burnt piece of metal. Every month I'm still paying because just hoping, you know... A lawyer will come along, an expert will come along and look at that burnt piece of metal and try to find something.
0: After the break, what this all means when it comes to government oversight of Tesla's self-driving technology. We'll be right back. podcast is brought to you by intel vpro ai pcs built for business with intel core ultra processors and intel vpro are optimized for hundreds of ai apps and tools to boost user productivity all with ai powered threat detection learn more at intel.com slash it heroes there's a lot happening these days but i have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time The 7 from The Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. I'm also curious if there are other incidents when things like this have happened to uh, Tesla cars that have the same technology.
1: So it's important to make the distinction between Tesla's two main pieces of driver assistance software. So there's full self-driving, which we've been talking about, which allows um, a car to operate on so-called surface streets. You know, it can respond to traffic lights and stop signs and can be in dense urban areas. And then they have a less sophisticated version called Autopilot, which is only meant for highways. And it's basically just fancy cruise control. And so for both of these, the driver is supposed to still be in control. But again, you have this confusion with the name of it. You have something called autopilot. You have something called full self-driving. You know, a customer would reasonably sort of be led to think it is more capable than it actually is. So on autopilot, there have been dozens of fatal and serious crashes linked to that technology. Mm -hmm. And, you know... In a lot of these crashes, driver error is involved. You know, there's been some crashes where it has been proven that the driver wasn't looking at the road or, you know, the driver didn't have their hands on the wheel when they were supposed to or the driver was intoxicated. And now there have also been a slew of lawsuits that have been brought against the company when it comes to these autopilot crashes, um, sort of challenging Tesla's constant defense that, like, well, the driver is the one who's legally supposed to be in control, and we say it in our user manuals and our warning statements.
0: Yeah, to what extent is the government actually looking at this, and what do you know about um, either how much they've actually investigated this and um, what they can or will be doing to Tesla to try to get them to take this more seriously.
1: So when it comes to the rules and regulations that govern um, autonomous vehicles and vehicles with driver assistance technology, uh, right now the regulatory framework is quite thin. So right now the one of the strongest powers that the federal government has is to collect data. But again, those are voluntary data requirements and they're self-reported and then on top of it it's allowed to be heavily redacted. So, you know, when it when it comes to the federal government, they have opened up many investigations into Tesla. They can use their recall power, but Everything that we've seen so far, uh, for the most part, has been reactive. So a lot of the criticism that comes um, in terms of federal framework for this technology is that there isn't strong enough proactive legislation or regulation that is sort of keeping the public safe from this technology. It feels
0: like after hearing this account of this one crash, that this is the part of the interview where I'm supposed to be like, well, maybe we should all be scared of Tesla cars running around with what people are describing as faulty self-driving technology. At the same time, I mean, every time I am a passenger in a car driving down a highway, I look around at the cars around me and see what people are doing in them. And I would say the majority of the time I see people texting while they are speeding 75 miles an hour down a highway. And that doesn't fill me with a sense of confidence in human drivers either. And I think that there is a lot of hope that this technology could ultimately save lives and change a situation in this country where, like, basically it's an an accepted fact that we all know somebody who died in a car crash who, in a car that was, you know, driven by a a human. Um, So I guess, like, what do you, how are we supposed to understand this story in the context of this mission to ultimately make roads safer? Like, how do we balance these nightmare stories about self-driving technology that could be uh, potentially putting people at risk with the significant risk that already exists on the roads in this country?
1: Yeah, and I mean that's that's the crux of the debate here, right? Where, as you said, there is so much promise um, in this technology, and what you do hear from Elon Musk and also other heads of companies for uh, autonomous vehicles that you know their technology doesn't drive drunk, um, it doesn't get distracted, and you know we get a lot we've gotten a lot of criticism for singling out crashes like this one and you know mm-hmm. why aren't we reporting on the hundreds of other fatal and serious crashes that had happened that day i think the reason why we still feel a big drive to focus on this is you know At the end of the day, these are profit-driven companies and these are companies who, you know, they have shareholders, they have investors, and, you know, they're going to move as aggressively as they can. And the worry here is that some of it will come at the expense of the public good. And, you know, with a a Tesla operating on full self-driving, which is still in beta mode, um, while the driver's consenting to the risk associated with that technology. Like, what about you and I, um, who's around that driver? And that when these things do happen, you want to get a
0: sense that the people who are responsible for this technology are taking it seriously. And it sounds like at least the people who were involved in this crash or the people, family members of Hain, that they are not convinced that, that Tesla has looked at this
1: closely. Exactly um, and that's been in in the lawsuits that have been taken against Tesla when it comes to the autopilot technology sort of challenging this idea that the driver is ultimately the one who's supposed to be in control you you hear that sentiment as well where you know where where's the company? You know, they they sold us this technology that is told to be better than a human driver. And now suddenly there's, there's driver error combined with potential technological error. And where's the company's responsibility in that?
0: Trisha, thank you so much for sharing the story. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Trisha Thadani is a technology reporter at The Post. The reporters who worked with her on this investigation include Fez Siddiqui, Rachel Lerman, and Whitney Shefty. And thank you to video journalist Julia Wall. Before we go, some news from this afternoon. President Biden's brother, James Biden, appeared on Capitol Hill today to testify in the impeachment inquiry being led by House Republicans. — This testimony took place behind closed doors, so we couldn't watch. But we do know that Biden's brother is insisting the president never had any involvement or financial interest in his family's business activities. So far, as we've reported, House Republicans have struggled to uncover any firm evidence of wrongdoing by the president. His son, Hunter Biden, is scheduled to appear in front of the committee soon, which might be Republicans' last hope for new testimony that could alter the trajectory of this impeachment inquiry. If you're looking for more updates on the latest news throughout the day, consider subscribing to another podcast here at The Post, The Seven. It gives you seven stories that you need to know every morning by 7 a.m. You can find The Seven wherever you listen to podcasts. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Emma Talkoff. It was mixed by Sean Carter and edited by Monica Campbell. Thank you to Maggie Penman. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. This podcast is brought to you by Intel vPro. AI PCs built for business with Intel Core Ultra Processors and Intel vPro are optimized for hundreds of AI apps and tools to boost user productivity, all with AI-powered threat detection. Learn more at intel.com slash itheroes.